Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast Homegrown Power, where we talk about everything cultural strategy and organizing. I'm Pasita Rudder. And I'm Jasmine Laban. And this week we're in San Francisco talking to Sally Tamayo Lee from San Francisco Rising. We talked to Sally about the tech industry and its impact here in San Francisco, along with the housing crisis and the displacement of the many communities here. We're currently seated in the beautiful Mission District, which is known for these really colorful murals and rich culture of the immigrant communities that have called it home. Let's listen to Sally as she tells us more about what's been happening here in San Francisco. You would define yourself as a creative slash artist, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of art do you do? Um, I do some film work. Uh, just made my first music video this Ooh. year. <laughs> and um, I also have done some like public installation work. So um, I got to do a cool installation outside the Asian Art Museum where people, whoever was on the street, whoever lived there on the street or was passing by as a tourist could answer some questions that came from people who lived and worked in the Tenderloin. Um, And yeah, I'm really interested in like art that is participatory and is co-created by people, sort of everyday people, not anyone who's necessarily an expert or um, a specialist. Mm -hmm. So how does your your art show up in organizing work? Yeah, I think generally I try and bring fun to the work. Um, I grew up doing theater, so um, I'm like not as afraid to be ridiculous or goofy or like push people into awkwardness oh no (laughs) (laughs) it's like my worst nightmare (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I think um like just doing activities where people are using their bodies or maybe miming what they love to do or drawing what they wanted to be as a kid um I think are different ways that I bring the artistry into organizing Also, I think with thinking about, like, space, like, how to make a space welcoming and how to um, think about, like, what are are people's first interaction as they enter a space Mm -hmm. and how is that going to affect their time there? Yeah. Yeah. What's the community like in San Francisco? Who lives here? (laughs) Who lives here? Um, Yeah, San Francisco is such a changing place all the time. Um, I grew up here and my dad grew up here and um, my grandfather came here in like 1922. Um, And so I think I complain a lot that the city is changing, but then I talk to my dad and he's like, you have no idea. (laughs) And then I humble myself. Um, But yeah, I think San Francisco is still a city that is majority people of color, although I've also heard, I've also read headlines that say that it has like the highest percentage of white people for any major city, Mm. which I thought was Portland, but um, I guess San Francisco is up there. It's It's like up there with Manhattan, I think. Um, 
definitely like many people, many of our like cultural hubs, our neighborhoods in the city have lost um, people of color. You know, when I when growing up, the population of Black folks was at twelve percent, and now. Um, there's like an organization that exists called the last three percent and they show up to a lot of community events to remind people that to remind people in the city that there isn't enough being done to retain people of color and black folks in the city um, the mission also has lost like 15 percent of its latinx uh, residents in the last 10 years um, and a lot of a lot of that responsibility falls on the city and its cooperation with tech uh, corporations, um, which is just the inevitable, you know, market that our politicians pretend is is so inevitable. Um, yeah, has really led a lot of rent to go up. I mean, this is happening all over California, but um, it's there is such like a visceral feeling here in the city and actually I find that there's not enough place or space to really grieve those changes mm. like you know I'll turn a corner and I'll see like this one business that was not that was there for a long for a long time is just gone mm. and it's like how do I marcate that the history that was there who do I talk to and like where how do I get to like actually grieve that and not just hold it in and post and like write a rant on social media like yeah. what I'm very curious about how yeah how those emotions where those emotions get stored after that kind of like trauma just happens mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's it's interesting too because it feels like San Francisco is kind of the center of a lot of different things mm-hmm. like it's the center of activism and organizing mm-hmm. it's also the center of tech right mm-hmm. um so I'm curious about how those different things converge in one yeah. place and what that looks like. And you're talking about erasure and um, yeah. how to grieve the things that are missing and like remember yeah. that history. Yeah. Are there ways that, that we can do that or that um, yeah. civic engagement organizations can do that? Yeah, I mean, I think fittingly for this conversation, I feel like um, grassroots organizing and art sort of are the ways to reconcile that pain and like the the different contradictions and confrontations that ha- that happen in the city. I think that like the legacy of poetry and mural uh, murals in the city like really do try and pay homage to the history that was here and. Um, I don't. I, I think right now I'm just thinking of like all of the grassroots organizing elders who have just been around for so long and have really have really seen the city change over the years. I think like within SF Rising, we know that we may have. We believe in in like the vision we have, which is to really like center people over profit and to build a world that is feminist and 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 prioritizes collective good and we know that we sort of have to work with anyone and everyone who might be interested in that vision so yeah right now we're sitting in this building that is full of startups it's the impact hub and I think it sort of reflects like the ways in which we are choosing to engage with some of tech yeah I think generally we're like trying to figure out how to 
how to work with those other groups and like yeah I don't know I just appreciate your question because it's like okay we're all here in the same place so what are we going to do how are we going to engage Sally also talked about their work combating the narrative that more housing will fix the problems. I think one of the exciting things that I am less involved in is uh, we've started a coalition of tenant rights groups and labor unions into a, uh, a coalition called United for Housing and, Housing and Justice. Um, and the idea that really Emily put together was that you know a lot of um, a lot of tenants' rights groups are fighting on behalf of tenants, you know, for affordable housing and like stopping evictions. And a lot of labor unions uh, don't focus on that directly. They might do it through campaigns, but um, their members are the ones who are experiencing these housing the, the housing crisis, and so. The idea is to come together and figure out um, how to really like flip a lot of the narratives that we have in San Francisco, which are that the like the housing crisis is going on because there just isn't enough housing. So if we build more market rate housing, there will be enough middle income and or uh, like middle rate and affordable housing units for working class people, um, and that's like a narrative we are really trying to, that has become super popular actually among um, the tech population, um, but something that we've really struggled to sort of combat. And so uh, that group, United for Housing and Justice, is starting to work with the Center for Story-Based Strategy and um, trying to be creative about like, you know, how to approach the affordable housing fight when they're up against, you know, these huge monsters these huge corporations that just have as much money as as like infinite amounts of money and can do things like bart ads where um you know they're hiring people of color to be like this housing thing would be great for me (laughs) you know just like money can do strange things but um i think people with like collective power can can also do really amazing things yeah so how did you get into organizing work? What brought you to the movement? Yeah, um, definitely my parents. Um, they both were organizers at my age. One of the experiences that really shaped me was um, going to college and being growing up in San Francisco and then going to a college that was like way outside of a city and having classmates who said things like the like Japanese internment worked like we should do that again with Muslim people and like being in a classroom environment where people are like oh like okay just sort of treating it as normal Um, but that's that's where I started organizing with students of color um, on campus and starting to like demand that the administration train their teachers train their faculty and staff to have more anti-oppression knowledge and like the hope is really to institutionalize that 
that framework for faculty who were sort of treating their classrooms as like laissez-faire, anything goes. It's all for the purpose of education. Um, was this in California? This was in Washington, mm-hmm. in Olympia, Washington. And so, yeah, that's where I really started organizing. And um, through that, like, started, like, an Asian Pacific Islander student group and, um, you know, brought a bunch of, like, poets and speakers, brought Hari Kondabolu to campus mm-hmm. and... Um, a part of like building community out there and we also did a lot of work to support some farm workers who were on strike somewhat far from our campus but that was like the first time that I really got involved with like direct action and working with students from other campuses in the state to um to support the boycott these farm workers were working on. We also talked about the Vote at 16 campaign that happened in San Francisco. When I graduated college, I I worked at the university for a little bit in their public service center and then um, came to San Francisco and eventually got hired as the campaign manager for the Vote 16 campaign in San Francisco, which was the measure to lower the voting age to 16. And it was started by a bunch of high school students in the Youth Commission here, and they wrote grants to to get money to pay for a staff person. And so um, it was really awesome for me because I felt like where I really learned and grew the most in my high school years was in the like after school programs that I did like I was part of a youth program with the ACLU and um, that was like where I learned about the difference between interpersonal oppression and institutional oppression and so I had always felt like I wanted to like do that kind of youth work with youth in San Francisco and so working on that campaign was also my first time doing any of anything electoral and um, I really just like sort of cut my teeth I didn't I didn't know at all what I was doing um but I was like in charge of all of the campaign stuff (laughs) and then also was working with these 20 awesome high school students who like really wanted to see the campaign through um we were we did a poll and we were polling like 36 percent which usually people are like don't even try and go to the ballot but our students were like we're the ones who are invested right now we want to like see this happen and so we um yeah we did all the work of putting it on the ballot we got like a hundred youth to speak at the board of supervisors and the board of supervisors put it on the ballot and then we went uh the election happened in 2016 and we all know that like the whole presidential situation was really crappy but um (laughs) We we didn't pass vote sixteen. We lost by two percent. But two percent. Yeah, it was very close. And yeah, and we felt like it was still its, a, its own victory in mm-hmm. its own way because it was like the furthest that that measure had ever gotten in a major city. Mm-hmm. And like we had gotten a lot of like national press for it. Um, and a bunch of yeah, these high school students just like were really transformed in the process of like going out and door knocking and having adults like just be rude in their faces and then for them to be like actually I've had hardships and I've had to make hard decisions in my life already I'm definitely mature enough to vote for my community um, 
so that's how I started to do electoral work and um, yeah a year later found myself at SF Rising um, and it's kind of a dream job Yay. yeah yeah <laughs> I want to be here the next 10 years <laughs> um, yeah and I'm getting to learn from like a lot of rad act rad organizers who have been doing like citywide um, electoral mobilizing and and I think what's special about SF Rising is that it's the idea is to do year-round grassroots organizing you know with these electoral goals but in a way that is still uh, keeping in this larger vision which is to like undo the US Empire you Mm -hmm. know it's not just about the fight that cycle it's it's always about like coming back to like what does liberation really look and feel like for us Sully also talked about how they're using creativity within their phone banks and campaign work so with such a focus on like phone banking and door knocking and the civic engagement work um, and we know that it's like super time intensive right and like has short timelines how are you able to incorporate some of the art and culture pieces into that work knowing that it is so time intensive right um yeah it's not easy I think that there are parts of me especially as like a manager that gets worried that I'm being too um intense with people about numbers and like I I always get afraid of losing like the human aspect of what we're doing um but I think just as a simple example you know within our phone banks with Power California calling young voters of color in the city um we've recruited pretty much all college students and some high school students to be a part of that phone bank and um I definitely believe that like the culture that we create within the phone bank group is really going is really what is going to like create their um, efficiency and their effectiveness on the phone so that looks like really taking the time at the beginning of each phone bank shift to like allow people to check in with how they're doing so I say you know share your name pronoun how your day has been on a scale of one to ten ten being like Beyonce one being like (laughs) bird poop (laughs) and it just allows people to be like yeah I'm exhausted and I have four tests tomorrow and or like you know I my health hasn't been good and I'm actually really worried about that or like I'm in love anything like, like things like that and allows people to just like come as they are and um I think that allows people to be like more present and more seen for what they're going through and be like, cool, that's where you're starting this phone bank from and that's fine. And um, and then we also try, or I try and incorporate other things that help build community. Like I'm pretty big stickler around name tags. I feel like the first, like the only way to build community is by knowing each other's names. And so I have everyone make a name tag. Uh, next year I think I want people to make buttons like I think I want everyone like the first day to make their own button that has their name on it and then they just wear it whenever yeah, they're there that'd be cool that they like decorate and things like that <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> can we bring glitter back I feel yeah. like 
It disappeared. <laughs> yeah, so you should bring glitter back. The I feel like environmental activists sometimes are like glitter is bad. But, oh, that's true. Um, it does make me feel good. <laughs> yeah. Just getting creative. There's so much value in the icebreaker and like the beginning grounding activity, and um, it's also important to not just like make it be like a, a like a, a different question every day. Like it has to use all the different senses and has to use like our bodies or our voices or drawing things and like um, even having people get in pair work in, in pairs and like share things that have been inspiring them lately or an idea that they've always had and just like getting get creating that time for people to like really build rapport with each other and that being the foundation for which we do all of like the phone banking because if people if people feel like a sense of connection and belonging and like safety within that group um i think that they will like be more motivated to actually do the voter contact work yeah and that's like shifting the culture internally right for the yeah. long term mm-hmm. which is cool yeah yeah at sf rising we're always thinking about like who, yeah what what's the community that sf rising is building like mm-hmm. not just the communities that we serve or like the communities that are our leaders like what is the other cult, what is the other community that we're building through our electoral work i wish there was more time for people to like share things that they're passionate about and when I say that, it feels like it is something we could just do, even without extra spaciousness. <laughs> but I know that, like, Carlos, one of our phone bankers, is, like, a musician and is, like, super passionate about Jimi Hendrix. And I would love if he could just do, like, a little presentation for us about Jimi Hendrix. Or, like, two of our phone bankers right now are um, storytellers. They tell, like... Asian folklore folk tales and it would be awesome if they could do like a little story for us um yeah I I think it would be nice if there was also maybe like a long-term sort of like documentation piece that could happen where we're getting to hear more about like how the experience of being a part of the phone bank is shaping their the phone bakers like experience and thinking about like politics but also human interactions and um how it's changing their own behaviors to like interact with other people or um how it's maybe changed how they view like change making like all of all the tools in the toolbox to make change um yeah, I think more, yeah, more glitter, more art supplies just out. And you said it yourself, that's all, like, doable. Yeah. <laughs> all the things I just named are pretty doable. But maybe I'm not thinking spaciously enough, you know? Maybe I'm like, what would that mean? Yeah, I'm really happy that Power California is dedicating, like, people and time to cultural strategy and, like, time to just, like, figure out what that is and bring other people in to be, like... What does that mean to you? Because it's something that um, is needed and is still sort of outside of traditional organizing. Homegrown Power, California's grassroots cultural organizers, 
is a production of Power California, a 501c3 organization. Power California harnesses the energy of young voters of color and their families to create a state that is equitable, inclusive, and just for everyone who calls California home. Opinions expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position of Power California. To learn more about us and support our work, check out our website at www.powercalifornia.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PowerCA now.